Hi, this is Rick Goldschmidt, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zimrak. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zimrak. This is episode 513, and we are getting into the holiday season. Christmas is coming, and of course, Every year I try to get you something that is uh, oriented toward the holidays and Christmas and everything. And uh, we did it. We've got a guest coming your way, and we'll tell you about that in just a second. Because this is the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, Rick Goldsmith is going to be joining us. Now, Rick has been here in the past, and he talked to us about Rudolph, and he's the historian for Rankin Bass. Now, of course, they've given us so many, so many specials for Christmas, and uh, he's the author of Making, uh, The Making of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and that's the key of what we're going to be talking about. Of course, we're going to talk about all other things, uh, Rudolph and everything else. Just so much to talk about at this time. Rankin Bass gave us so many great specials, and uh, you got to hear some of these stories. They're really good. So anyways, Rick Goldsmith coming up in a few minutes right here at On Screen and Beyond. But uh, right now, what do you say? Let's get right into Remake Madness. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. we got a couple of things coming your way. The remake of Shaft with Samuel L. Jackson will be landing in theaters on June 14th, 2019. And the continuing remake of It, It Chapter 2, will be arriving on September 6th. 2019. And the big screen movie of Downton Abbey will be coming our way on September 20th, 2019. So get ready for that. And that's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what do you say we take a peek at what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Upcoming new movies, it looks like Melissa McCarthy's back in the news, and she will star in Super Intelligence on December 25th, 2019. Now, this is an action comedy about a woman's life that is turned upside down when she is selected for observation by uh, the the, fir- the world's first super intelligence. So uh, this sounds kind of strange, but, you know, hey, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that one. And Nicole Kidman and Sarah Paulson will star in The Goldfinch on October 11th, 2019, as a boy is taken... Uh, in by a wealthy family after his mother is killed in a bombing. And October 4th, 2019 brings us Gemini Man. It stars Will Smith as an uh, over-the-hill hitman faces off against a younger clone of himself. That's it for upcoming new movies. 
next on On Screen and Beyond. What do you say we hop on down to Sequel City and find out what's coming your way as far as sequels? Sequel City, sequels, sequels, and more sequels. They seem to just keep coming and coming and coming. But How to Train Your Dragon. The Hidden World will land in theaters on February 22nd. And Zombieland, it didn't go away. Zombieland 2 will be slamming into theaters on October 11th, 2019. And for all you Frozen fans out there, October 2nd is when everything is going to ice up again in theaters as Frozen 2 will be coming our way. And like I said, that's October 2nd. So get ready for that. And the whole gang will be there, and who knows, they'll probably throw in a few more people. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we will take a peek at what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD. And we got some good ones. TV on DVD, we have a classic here, The Dick Cavett Show, and that's the way it is. Comes your way on December 18th, with a bunch of the interviews that he did, along with The Dick Cavett Show, Inside the Minds of Volume 1, will also come our way on December 18th. And then on January 22nd, the Dick Cavett Show, Inside the Minds of Volume 2, will be coming your way. So a lot of Dick Cavett stuff coming our way. And The Last Ship, the complete series, and The Last Ship, the complete fifth season, will be sailing into stores on March 12th, 2019. So get ready for that. Some action. And that's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, let's head down to Movies on DVD. Movies on DVD, Bad Times at the El Royale goes digital on December 18th. And Blu-ray and DVD, you can catch it on January 1st. On December 11th will be the release date of Sergeant Stubby, an American hero on Blu-ray and DVD. And Night School with Kevin Hart will arrive on digital on December 11th. And then on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD on January 1st. And that is it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment time. TV and Entertainment time. Well, sadly, uh, last week, TV's F Troop and Mama Family star... Ken Berry passed away at the age of 85, and Ice Cube is uh, trying to bring back Celebrity Deathmatch. Remember, that was on MTV. He's trying to bring it back to TV once again. Not sure where it's going to show, but uh, keep uh, tuned for that one. I'll let you know what's going on. And NBC has renewed The Good Place for a fourth season. That's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it is Celebrity Birthdays. Celebrity birthdays, well, it looks like on December 17th, Sarah Paulson turns 44. December 18th, Steven Spielberg turns 72. December 19th, Alyssa Milano turns 46. And on December 20th, Jonah Hill turns 35. December 21st, Ray Romano turns 61. December 22nd, Diane Sawyer turns 73. And on December 23rd, Susan Lucci. Erica from All My Children turns 72. 
And that's it for Celebrity Birthdays. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we have none other than Rick Goldsmith. He is the historian for Rankin Bass, and he's got so much to tell us about uh, these specials that they did. He's got a book out called The Making of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. We're going to talk about that, Rudolph, the whole stuff, right here, Rick Goldsmith, next on On Screen and Beyond. Our guest today on On Screen and Beyond is the historian for Rankin Bass, who has given us so many holiday classic TV specials, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, and of course, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. He is here today to talk about these and so many more, and he has a book out called The Making of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. It's Rick Goldsmith. Rick, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Hi, thanks for having me. Rick, it's great to have you back again. As I mentioned, a couple of years ago, we had you on uh, talking about the Rudolph, and uh, now here we are. It's that time of season again. <laughs> yes, it is. And this year, uh, we decided to do a book on uh, the making of Santa Claus is Coming to Town with The Daydreamer, which is one of their forgotten films, uh, but a kind of a gem in the catalog, in the Rankin-Bass catalog. Um, but I think uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town is one of their best Animagic specials, probably in the top five. Yeah, And uh, it still airs on ABC every year, mm -hmm. uh, although it's a poorly edited version. Um, it's one of their great specials. Yeah, I, I was reading about that. Uh, um, of course, they cut it up because of commercial time and all that. But uh, f from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong... They, they've cut several songs out of it, and they've also uh, edited um, basically some of the, the uh, plot things. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. And uh, what's sad about it is the editing on Santa Claus is Coming to Town and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, it almost looks like the editors must have been wearing blindfolds. <laughs> <laughs> to do such a poor job with it. I mean, in, in Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Fred Astaire starts talking at the beginning and saying, you don't know, you know, I'll answer all these questions. And then, boom, it's the credits. It's like, how do you edit out something so poorly hmm. and take out the songs that that people look for? You know, like the favorite parts of the show are the songs like um, The Price You Pay um, that Santa Claus, Chris Kringle sings to the kids. Mm -hmm. And Jessica's song, um, My World is Beginning Today. I mean, those are two of the best parts of the, of the special. And to take them out of the special just to cram a bunch of commercials in is ridiculous. Hmm, yeah. Um, AMC just aired um, a marathon over the weekend of the later Rankin-Bass specials, and um, from what I saw of it and the time slots that the specials were put in, I believe they were all uncut. Oh, really? Wow. Um, so that's a first. <laughs> huh. 
So when, when you're watching this, are you cringing when you see that type of thing? <laughs> or do you even bother to look well, at those? <laughs> yeah, well, they, they do it every year. They show the same versions that they edited, you know, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I just put them on just to see them on the network because that that benefits me and my books and Rankin Bass in general. I mean, it brings an awareness to the newer generations of people that didn't grow up with them. Right. So I like to see them on the air, but I don't like to see the editing. And and, in Rudolph, and I've been talking about it on my blog and in my books for years, that they, you know, they chop up the song, um, We're a Couple of Misfits, and they put the animation from Fame and Fortune and the the mouths aren't even moving with the lyrics. It's, oh, it's so bad. It looks like a five-year-old edited the show. <laughs> and I talk about it every year. And every year they keep showing the same bad version. <laughs> it's, wow. It's incredible. And, you know, Rudolph, to me, is on the level of The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's oh, 54 years it's been on the air. And everybody knows it. Everybody knows the characters, the songs, the special. It really kicks off the holiday season for many, many people. And to put such a poorly edited thing on the air is ridiculous. And then to add insult to injury, they released DVDs and Blu-rays this year that are absolutely horrendous. The worst copies to be put out on the market so far with horrible extra content filled with anti Rankin Bass people in the in the documentary. So it's it's sad to see what's being done with these classics, but I really enjoy doing what I do and I make sure that my books are done right. So I can't control right. what other people do. Um, all I can control is what I do. Mm-hmm. And hopefully people enjoy, you know, the works that we've put together. Why would they add extras that are basically against what Rankin-Bass did? Well, there's a lot of politics involved. And these big companies like Universal, who took over uh, the DreamWorks, um, Rankin Bass catalog and the classic media. These these hands that they've gone into are the wrong hands, and they involve people that had nothing to do with the original creations, hmm. and listen to them and their guidance, and it just runs it into the ground. Hmm. You know, it's these people are horrible people that had nothing to do with the creation or the creators and they think they know better. Mm-hmm. So instead of complimenting Rankin Bass, they censor people who compliment Rankin Bass and either cut their commentary or their compliments out of the documentaries or they don't use them at all. And they have no interest in quality content you know i have the original ending of rudolph 
in color from 1964, and they had no interest in that. You know, so that tells me that they don't know what they're doing and they don't want to make the best product for the fans. They just want a cash grab. Right. And yeah. I'm getting sick of it because it's been going on for so long. Huh. You know, the wow. best versions that were commercially released were in 2001 from Golden Books. That's when they called Arthur Rankin in. He did introductions for Rudolph and Frosty, and they used a lot of my behind-the-scenes photographs and credited me in the in the uh, introductions that Arthur did. Mm-hmm. So those were really the best versions that have been released. And to have to go back, you know, 17 years to find the best versions is is sad. Wow! Yeah. Jeez. Huh. Now, when they redo these videos, are we seeing the original product? You mentioned that you have the original ending. So was it different than what we've always seen? Yeah, the the original ending of Rudolph uh, featured just one elf who was throwing packages off the sleigh that had the credits on the packages. And the lettering matched the opening lettering um, and I like that better um, because when they did the 65 airing, they went back to the island of Misfit Toys where they're sitting around the campfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then all the toys just went into Santa's bags and then they get thrown off the sleigh with umbrellas at the end. And the credits on the screen are just plain lettering. And some of the names are misspelled, too. And that's the one that's been on the air since 65. Um, It would be great if CBS wanted to air all the original elements. And if they needed to, they could stretch it out in the 90 minutes and uh, maybe do a little documentary that actually has good content to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. Um, it's a no-brainer, but apparently they have no brains. <laughs> huh. So who originally changed back in 1965, changed it? Well, um, Willard Saloff, who was from the General Electric Company, mm-hmm. and he originally came from Montgomery Wards, where the Rudolph book by Robert L. May was a big success. He wanted some changes made, and since he helped get it on the air, Arthur and Jules went along with it and changed uh, We're a Couple of Misfits to Fame and Fortune, the song Fame and Fortune, mm-hmm. yep. and then they had to cut some of the musical parts out of We Are Santa's Elves to accommodate the section with the campfire. And they also cut out the scene where uh, Yukon licks his pick and he discovers peppermint, which Hmm. is about 30 seconds long. But they had to cut that and cut out the musical part of We Are Santa's Elves to accommodate that campfire scene and then change the end credits to the umbrella (laughs) scene. So those were the main changes that were made on the show. And it was all because of that executive at General Electric. Hmm. And of course, the the 
I've always thought that it looked like the elves had light bulbs for noses. <laughs> right, right. And that, and that probably uh, was the case. The show was designed by Tony Peters, who worked with Rankin-Bass um, from the late 50s into the mid-1960s. And he was a very simple, uh, almost UPA animation style mm-hmm. artist. Yeah. And uh, he probably did, um, you know, make the elves' noses look like light bulbs on purpose. Yeah. Huh. Um, it was a very simple design, but it's one I actually prefer over the later uh, Rankin Bass designs. Yeah. Huh. So. The, the Santa Claus is coming to town. Now, this was based on the the song, right, originally? Right. When they did this? And, and yeah. that's the interesting thing. Romeo Muller, who wrote Santa Claus is Coming to Town and Rudolph, he always took a song, a simple song, and created all of these characters and story around it that we know today as being, you know, the folklore of Santa Claus, the character. Mm -hmm. Up until that time, Santa Claus was an advertising character, primarily (laughs) for (laughs) Coca-Cola and cigarettes. Um, You know, that's how he was used. He didn't have any kind of history to him. And in that special, they explained why he goes down the chimney, why he ho-ho-hoes, you know, yep. uh, why he goes out on Christmas Eve and how he married Mrs. Claus. I mean, it gives all these story uh, background that as as a kid growing up, when I watched it, it all made sense. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, oh yeah. And yeah. that was Santa Claus to me. Yeah. We'll be back with more of our guests right after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Huh. Now, the the cast they brought together, when they did their specials, they brought a lot of big people. I mean, you know, Fred Astaire and Mickey Rooney. I mean, <laughs> at that time, Keenan <laughs> Wynn. I mean, the, the, the big names. Right. I mean. In that one, I think they had a bigger budget because um, prior to that, they were using primarily Canadian voice actors that they would pay uh what their union called for, uh, for a two year run. And it was a very, um, easy way for them to, to do things, but to get three big stars like that for one special and use primarily talent in the U S I'm sure they had a bigger budget and they wanted to go with, you know, quality actors. It wasn't so much the name 
like it is today mm-hmm. where they get a Mel Gibson or, you know, right. Brad Pitt or whoever. And they really don't have voices that are great for animation. They, they're just using them for their name. Right. Back then, their voices were really, really good for animation, mm-hmm. uh, especially Mickey Rooney. Yeah. So they got the right talent for the right projects, you know, and mm-hmm. and that's the thing about Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass. They, they really knew great talent and uh, used them over and over again, like um, Jack Davis and Paul Coker uh, designed all the shows, and they were great artists that had been working in the business for 20, 30 years by that time, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, they went for the experienced, seasoned veterans. Yeah, like Paul uh, Freese. were talented. I mean, Paul Freese. Oh, Fre- yeah. Paul Freese was Arthur Rankin's good luck charm. <laughs> and um, he really delivered with the Burger Meister, Meister Burger. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the characters he did for Rankin Bass are the best ones that he did. And he would only take a plane to do a job for... Arthur Rankin uh, and Jay Ward, those were the, the two um, companies that he liked the best. Hmm. And wow. he worked with Rankin Bass for years and years. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of people may not even know who Paul Fries is, you know, by name, but they, I can guarantee that everyone has heard a cartoon with Paul Fries's voice in it. I mean, you just have to. <laughs> Right, or if they uh, if they went to Disneyland or Disney World, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and went in the Haunted Mansion, or, uh, you know, there's some other things he did for, for Walt Disney, too, and he, he narrated a lot of, um, a lot of their shows and, and was the voice of Ludwig von Drake, too, so. Yeah, an inc- I mean, incredible he, voice. He talent. touched a lot of, uh, a lot of different, uh, areas of the entertainment business oh yeah jeez hmm. so give can you give our listeners a uh an idea of what goes into making santa claus is coming to town i mean it's it's not computer generated like they would do now it, it was all painstakingly done correct right it was a stop motion form of animation called animagic and sometimes people call it claymation, but that's wrong. It wasn't like our Clokies, Gumby and Pokey, who I just appeared with at the Chiller Theater show in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, it was puppets that were more like Davy and Goliath that had clothes and armatures and their heads were made out of wood and their Eyes and mouths were interchangeable pieces of cut paper with paint on them. Um, the puppets themselves cost about five thousand dollars to make in nineteen sixty dollars, wow. wow. and um, they had people that primarily just made the puppets um, in Japan, hmm. and then there were animators that were far ahead in the world of stop motion in Japan um, rather than in the States that Arthur Rankin discovered in the 1950s. 
and uh, he decided to to bring it to the states in a series called The New Adventures of Pinocchio. And he continued to work with them. Uh, originally, it was at Dentsu uh, Studios in Japan. And uh, later it became a, a big studio called MOM that employed about 100 animators. So when they're working on the show, they would set up scenes that they could animate simultaneously. In other words, they would have a set that was constructed basically on a table with two-by-fours around it. And one animator could animate, say, the scene with the Burgermeister in his lair, you know, talking to Grinsley. And then another animator could be working on Chris uh, with Topper mm-hmm. and uh, the Winter Warlock. So all of these scenes were done by different animators at the same time. But normally a one-hour special would take about 18 months Holy to produce. <laughs> Jeez. And, and then they'd have to record the voices in the States, uh, you know, either in New York or California, and sometimes they would even fly to where that actor was and work with them there, even in their homes in the case of Boris Karloff. Wow. And um, that was a whole different process. And then Maury Laws uh, composed the music and conducted the music in England, usually. Um, So he was doing that. And uh, Romeo Muller was in High Falls, New York. He was the writer. And he deserves all the credit in the world because the writing is the core of it. Mm-hmm. And this stuff wasn't written for the moment. And it wasn't written for children. It was written for the whole entire family all the way up to grandparents. Right. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's why so many people embrace it. And um, he created all of the characters besides Rudolph in Rudolph. He created the Bumble, you know, the <laughs> Island of Misfit Toys, Yukon, Hermie. And there's some derivative productions going around, like musicals and things like that, where they don't even credit him, which wow. is sad. Yeah, geez. But he is the, the, the reason that the specials have stood the test of time. Hmm. And... Um, a big, big part of it. Yeah. And also, you know, the, the look of the show, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town is Paul Coker Jr. And even the lettering that you see in the credits and the art that you see on Chris's wanted poster and the Burgermeister's picture that falls into the garbage can, that's Paul Coker's art. And he really gave them sort of a style that, was different than Disney and different than Hanna-Barbera. Mm-hmm. It was a look that, you know, immediately you knew it was Rankin Bass. Right, yes. And, yeah. uh, I mean, all of those elements came together on these Rankin Bass specials. And um, 
it's 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 interesting if you look at my book, The Enchanted World of Rankin Bass, which is now over four hundred pages. You look at it and you think, man, they in about ninety five percent of their work, and and they did so many different things. You know, oh, they did sure. King Kong escapes and the Thundercats and. The Jackson Five show and exactly. you know, the Osmonds. Uh, they did the, the Osmonds. What's that? The Osmonds. Oh yeah, they did the Osmonds and you know uh, <laughs> the Smokey the Bear show. Mm-hmm. And it's like you look at all these things and you think, man, all those things were pretty good. They didn't have you know too many clinkers in there, right? Yeah. Um, huh. That's so incredible. it's 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 really amazing that they knew talent and they stuck with them and they kept going and you know they accomplished so much um, over the years that a lot of other studios could only dream of. Hmm. Yeah. Now, Rick, uh, you mentioned how much it costs to make one of these uh, the puppets for the to make these things. Where are, did they keep, or did they put in a museum or anything, all these animated, all these puppets that they made for Rudolph or, or Santa Claus is coming to town? Are those, are those anywhere or did they just chuck them? Well, we have a, um, we have a whole chapter about that in, in the new book. And in fact, all of my books have something about the Animagic figures and I've appeared with several uh-huh. over the years. And okay. um, there so, was only a handful brought to the U.S. Some of them they kept in the Rankin-Bass offices. Uh, some, like the Rudolph cast, was in a glass case at the NBC building at Rockefeller Plaza. And... Um, you know, a few here and there were given as gifts to either the people that worked on the shows or the people who voiced, like Fred Astaire and Burl Lives, mm-hmm. people like that. Um, occasionally, Arthur would give them a puppet. Huh. But 90, I want to say 95% stayed in Japan. Oh, okay. And um, there was a story going around... Uh, for the last, you know, I would say 10 years after we found Santa and Rudolph and restored them, uh, they were saying, oh, these are the only two Rudolph puppets that survived, you know, and and it seemed like such a sensational story to, to talk about and say that the rest were destroyed. And it's true, some were in an attic and they got ruined yeah and i guess they threw them out Hmm. but some more have shown up in japan at the tad moshinaga exhibit which i show pictures of Uh, there was another santa Um, there's a mrs claus a reindeer some other puppets you know and then i've seen um on youtube the King Kong puppet from uh, Mad Monster Party appeared in another comedy show 
that a Japanese animator was part of and, and used the same King Kong puppet as the character in the show. Um, so wow. Could the they... animators took some of them home and kept them in their in their collections. Wow. Huh. Now, Rick, with all the, you know, all the different shows that, that you've been able to, to write books about and everything and, and give us this information, and I'm sure in the books there's tons more information that people can, can get, pick up the books and uh, you know, find out all these fascinating stories. Um, where can they pick the books up? Well, uh, they're pretty exclusive to miserbros.com. That's M-I-S-E-R-B-R-O-S dot com which uh, is the Heat Miser and Snow Miser. And um, this is the website that I actually sign and draw in the books, and uh, we get all the unique products that go along with the books. Um, So that's pretty much uh, the exclusive place you can get them from. Great, great. And um, now uh, we're going to finish up with two final questions. And it's going to take us away. Sure. We're going to take us away from uh, Santa Claus is coming to town and Rudolph and all these great specials that uh, we see every year. <laughs> but uh, when you relax, what are you watching on TV? What's your favorite shows now and of the past? And what's your favorite movies now and of the past? <laughs> Not necessarily. Well, I don't. Have, <laughs> I don't have any favorite shows of of modern entertainment. Mm-hmm. I just. I don't like what I see in the modern uh, world of entertainment. It's it's too in your face and satirical, and mm-hmm. just not my my style. I go back to the the classics, and there's so many to choose from. Uh, whether it be the Andy Griffith Show or oh, yeah. the Honeymooners, uh, you know, things like that. I actually like watching old shows that I've never seen before in syndication and so forth. I, I've been watching Ernie Kovacs. Yes, they just came <laughs> out with that. Um, the Centennial Collection. And yeah. Just yeah. looking back at his work and, and seeing how television actually developed, mm-hmm. you know, because they had to come up with content and do it in a uh, in a unique way and they they were much more creative mm-hmm. um, definitely yeah during the heyday of television even in the 60s with all these crazy concepts like my mother the car and <laughs> yes you know bewitched and the monsters and and so on and so forth as crazy as all that seems you know Gilligan's Island and and all of that. Um, and if you read um, Armory's reviews in TV Guide going back to the, the 60s, he hated a lot of stuff that was coming out because he thought it was too uh, geared towards children and that kind of thing. But the creativity that was involved with those shows is not even seen today right. at all. You know, it's like, what happened to this creativeness of these creators? Where, Why are they remaking everything now? Yeah, That's yeah. all they ever do is remake classics. 
yeah. and they never do it better. Mm, that's for sure. That is definitely, you know, where, where would MacGyver be? Everybody thinks MacGyver is the guy that comes up with all these ideas of out of nothing without the professor from the Gilligan's Island. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right, right. Or, you know, the thing about it, and um, for me, and also with the it, it holds true with the Rankin Bass specials is, you know, they, there's this this heart and warmth and quality to television of the '60s and '50s. They're trying to teach morals, you know. Yes. And yeah. I just really where it all changed was with the introduction of All in the Family. Mm-hmm. And I just rewatched the entire series of All in the Family. Mm-hmm. And as much as they were pushing the envelope and talking about new things, you know, things that were never seen on television before, they still had the heart and the warmth between the the main characters especially. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of love between Archie and even Mike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the meathead, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that they don't find that kind of thing in, um, in modern entertainment. I don't know why. Um, I it might have something to do with the internet and clickbait and what people are interested in. You know, they'd rather see the Kardashians than oh. <laughs> to see the Andy Griffith show, <laughs> you know? Not me. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've never even seen the Kardashians. Yeah, but I'll, I'll take Andy Griffith's show anytime. <laughs> yeah, I know it's all that reality stuff as an audience, apparently, uh, you know, whether it be Dancing with the Stars or... Uh, the bachelor or, or all of that i don't know but it's not me yeah yeah <laughs> you know i'm not that audience and i want things that have quality to them and, and those old shows definitely do and that's why i go back to them and and that's all i really watch that's all i care to watch mm-hmm. and movies um you know i like the the, the quality classic movies, you know, like, I don't know, <laughs> it could be uh, anything from from the classic era, you know, uh, whether it be Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein oh, or yeah. <laughs> you know, North by Northwest, <laughs> you know, yep. uh, anything out of that period. And um, I don't know, today with the CGI and you know, the superhero movies and, and all this dark, violent stuff. And they're talking about, you know, people shooting up schools and then they're putting movies out where they're shooting guns at each other like mm-hmm. nothing. And they're, they're so beyond over-the-top violent that you have to wonder, like, who's making these movies and why are they making them? Right. You know, they, yeah. they're, they're not looking to make a going my way anymore mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, a, a classic style 
movie that means something. Yeah. That, that would last. They're just looking to make video game movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's sad. Well, Rick, I, I thank you so much for sharing with us. And people should be going out and getting your book, uh, The Making of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, or any of your other books that, that uh, you have out there. And go check it out at your website and um, get it signed and everything. And, and that'd be great. But uh, we thank you so much for sharing and giving us such, such great information and background stuff on the making of these classic shows. Well, thanks for having me. Merry Christmas to you, too. Merry Christmas to you, too. A big thank you to uh, Rick Goldsmith for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. Always fun having him here to talk about Rankin Bass specials and everything. And, of course, uh, if you want to catch his book and get a lot more information behind the making of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, be sure to check out his book, which is called the making of Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> and you can go to his website and you can get it autographed and everything. And a lot of great, great films, great uh, specials and everything they've done over the years. And uh, he's got all the information about it. And that is it. I hope you all will have a very happy holidays, Merry Christmas, the whole works. We will be bringing you more episodes of On Screen and Beyond, so tell a friend and like us on Facebook, and be sure to go over to iTunes if you're getting it there and leave a uh, a review. You know, It'll help uh, rank us and get people to hear us and everything, so we'd appreciate that. That's uh, a little gift you can give to us. Uh, and, um, so anyways, that's it. That's a wrap for this week. So until next time, we once again take you on screen and beyond. I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. <laughs>